0: Welcome back, podcast listeners, here with episode 75 and week two of the campaign that we've been running. So we have Will in again today to explain what week two is all about and what you'll be seeing from our socials. Yeah, day, everyone. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, yeah, this week's campaign is around uh, sorting out a budget. Um, having a budget really helps you find control of your money and you can put aside money for big bills when they arrive or achieve your money goals don't really need an account or special software to set up your own budget. We've actually created an Excel spreadsheet for our clients that we give out. And yeah, if any of the listeners want that, yeah, reach out and we can share that. Content. Yeah, I think, I think it is something, you know, Tony will go in more depth. I think there's a lot of information out there around budget, um, but it is something that, we require from all of our clients in the initial fact-finding stage is to understand where their finances can be allocated, um, how they're going about it. Look, we're not going to sit there with the client and say you need to reduce your uh, your Uber Eats exposure and stop eating it, as you try to tell me all the time, even though I haven't been ordering it. But um, looking local nowadays, but you know, we will discuss ways of actually, you know, understanding where your money's been spent and understanding what you know, allocating certain funds of that budget to investments can actually do to you in the long run.
1: Absolutely. Um, Looking forward to being part of this. Budgeting was never high on my agenda once upon a time, but and as a result, I've probably wasted—well, not probably—I'll say definitely have uh, wasted huge amounts of money Uh, (laughs) that could be worth millions today if I followed my own advice. Well, if I had someone who gave me this advice as a very young man.
0: Yeah. Look, what we will touch on. Which
1: you two? Which you two both are, by the way. Yeah, and. But, you
0: yeah, know, we do have some great budgets in Coffin Bond & Co. We do have people that can really help them with that. I think, you know, Josh Josh is, Josh is our expert in the uh, in the team and, and he's helped clients along the way with it.
1: Yeah, Josh, Josh is unbelievably amazing
0: at saving his own money and spending mine. <laughs> but look, Tony... With a budget, uh, as Willard i said, there is, there is apps on your phone that can actually connect straight to your bank accounts and actually automatically log where things are going. Um, they're at a small fee, but, you know, you can start to really, if you go into the same cafe, you can log down that as a budget and go into those expenses. But, you know, as well i said, simple Excel spreadsheets. But what it is, it's about knowing your income, recording it, understanding how much you're getting, um, and then knowing your expenses from there. So what's your rent, what's your mortgage, what's your bills, Um, and how much you're leaving for discretionary spending. And what I can find with some clients is the ones that create such a stringent budget where they think they're definitely going to keep to it and there's no room to move and they're they're, not allowed to have any spare money for themselves. They're the people that i normally find actually end up spending more money.
1: Yeah. um, They can also be people that – have ebbs and flows so they Sorry, can be that's
0: more that's more what i mean in terms of spending more money it's yeah more so from
1: from flows. a personality aspect they're usually harsh on themselves because they've uh broken their rule uh and so they, they actually have very highs and very lows and can it can actually it um you know even lead on to depression and arguments and households and things like that especially if you you know there's two of you and one of the, one of you is a spendthrift and uh, the other one uh, saves every, and counts every penny. So yeah, it's, it's, it can cause, a well, household budgets in general can cause a lot of angst in a family household, and especially if you're considering what's going on at the moment where people have had to take pay, take pay cuts or are unsure about their working positions going forward. You know, those who have spent every cent they've earned in the past who all of a sudden are living off JobKeeper uh, might be very concerned in the coming months when the banks turn around and or even those, you know, professional services who have ta- had to take pay cuts who, you know, might be very concerned in the coming months when the banks say, well, you've got to start making new repayments on your home loans again. So uh, saving, my my mother had a wonderful adage, Tony, are you saving money for a rainy day? Uh, that was that was, and Mum came from poverty, and you know they were uh, both immigrants out here, and Dad came. Dad was you know an orphan and all the rest of it, so they never had money. But for them, the fear of what money they had losing it was very high on their agenda. Uh, so there can be completely different mindsets of people and different generations as well. Yeah. Yeah, but can I, I, can I can yeah. actually touch on, uh, touch on that just for a moment? So, If we use three generations, we use me as the early 50-ish-year-old, uh, you gents who are still in your 20s, uh, mid to late 20s, um, and we use, uh, say, my parents, who uh, dad's passed away but who mum is 80, or that generation where the difference lies is that one of the differences is you guys have never known a world without credit. Whereas when I was young, bank cards, which are no longer in existence, were the first sort of form of um, Visa card, uh, were in existence. And even back then, there wasn't tap and go, and which I know is, is newer uh, than using, let say, a credit card. Uh, there weren't even ATM machines. You still had to go into the bank. So when, when I was a kid, the, there was no such thing as credit until probably, I was probably about 12 when credit cards really started to come into the forefront. Now, in saying that, what then, my parents grew up in a generation, the 80-ish year olds grew up in a generation that if they wanted something, They actually saved money for it and then went and bought it. Uh, So you you didn't you didn't have a personal loan to buy a TV. Uh, You didn't have um, so realistically the the loans that that my parents' generation had was attached to a mortgage attached to a property. So there wasn't money wasn't as freely accessible back then. So their mentality of saving was far different than my mentality, which is extraordinarily different to yours. So, whereas sometimes I might talk about Yoruba Eats spend as an example, Jamie, uh, my parents wouldn't even contemplate spending $2 to have their food delivered, uh, you know, so they, they go out and save money and cook for themselves. So, so there is a completely, and this is one of the things that has to be understood with budgeting, uh, the different generations and different households that you grew up in have completely different mindsets on money and budgeting as well. So it's not one size fits fits all. There's no magic app out there. It still comes down to what's your mindset and how do you get that mindset to actually work to your advantage.
0: Yeah, and I think you were talking about households, and I think it's actually important to be open with your household. Um, you know, we've had clients in the past and, you know, his divorce cases where we've had some clients not even know what they're spending. Um, yeah. And if the divorce is in, it's, you know, what's the household budget because it's been hidden, you know, you should be asking your partner and understanding I know you don't like to look at your budget, Tony, because you let Boyana control that. <laughs> but well, she you know, does. It's about, <laughs> so
1: it's yeah.
0: about, about understanding. It is about understanding. But about that's
1: a trust fact. But that's up. a trust factor, by the way. So right. that's not just laziness. That's, that's an absolute trust factor. So yeah, so it's not if as if anything's know, hidden, you know, it's not as if anything's hidden from me.
0: No, well, I hope not. No, <laughs> <But> you do <laughs> have what's coming. You have you do have access. But what I'm saying is understanding what the income is coming in and what your expenses are going out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So.
0: So would I we think we would yep sorry you go no no you go I was going to talk about you know setting spending limits um, we we're talking about that and actually understanding you know what you're spending but then it's also okay what portion of that's going to savings and you're talking about savings for a rainy day and older generations but this is where that little bit and compounding over time can actually make a big difference in your life in the long run
1: Absolutely. And there's, you know, if you think about your net wage and and I do know you are a good budgeter, Jamie, so you do plan for things in advance. Uh, well, You know, you, you do, you do have to budget for a wedding that was meant to be next month, wasn't it? Yeah, so it's uh, so that's, that's, but yeah, so it also means that you're not spending money on your honeymoon and uh, little things like that, but it's still money that's going to be spent in the future. So, but in saying that, Um, the first thing you actually have to do is know what your monthly fixed expenses are. And then give you over basically, if you have a look, I I would suggest not a month, but over six months, and you can do this on your bank statements. Have a look at what all your discretionary spending is. So, as an example, since lockdown has occurred, well, realistically, for the last six months, I think I've taken money out of an ATM machine maybe twice. I've got $100 sitting in my wallet that's been sitting in there for like three months. You know, so, you know, know, everything. No, so, so I think, you know, for, from that perspective, to know what your discretionary spending is on a monthly basis as well, and sometimes it is a case, and we all know the, uh, you know, the smashed avocado on toast, um, uh, you know, backlash that came against Tim Gurner and Bernard Salt uh, for their comments, but in respect to generations not being able to necessarily save for a house. I don't think, I think it does go beyond just that, but it is, um, there is that aspect of if you don't understand what your fixed expenses are, if you don't understand what your discretionary spending is uh, on a monthly basis, how can you actually set a budget in the first place? So how can you save money? uh, Secondly, if you don't know, so you know what you're earning, but you don't know what you're spending. And I think that, and so it's actually having the, the first part, anything comes down to discipline, uh, any success in life comes down to consistency and discipline. But the first discipline is understanding, knowing what you earn and then understanding where you're spending it. Because we do have a generation of, you know, 20 year olds who are declaring themselves bankrupt because they got a $3,000 credit limit on a credit card secured against nothing um, or, you know, are going out and sp- spending all their money on afterpay and they're not making repayments. Uh, so it's, it's because there is, and once again, completely different generations, the way we were raised and differences with technology and a whole range of things. But there is that feeling of having that instantaneous gratification. Uh, whereas for the 80 year olds, the gratification was in the saving knowing that they're achieving that goal once they've achieved that goal to purchase that thing. Uh, whatever that thing might have been. So, so their gratification was watching every month in their savings. I'm very disciplined in doing that. Whereas we do have a generation that is not as disciplined uh, with saving and spending. As a result, including my generation, by the way. So, it's um, I'm not saying it's it's all Willard's fault. It is no, so it's uh, it it is it is a case of you know, my generation is just as bad, if not worse, in a lot of ways, especially if we didn't grow up with much. Uh, with free access to money, we there is the real trying to keep up with the Joneses. Whereas my parents' generation couldn't do that because you either had to cash or you didn't.
0: Yeah. So I guess talking about that, we move cash. Um, you know, there's great examples of different theories of budgeting, you know, the 50, 30, 20 percent budget where, you know, if you spend roughly fifty percent of your after tax dollars on necessities, thirty percent on wants, and then twenty percent is obviously going to that savings. And Tony, I want you to touch on we got investing coming up in future podcasts, but What can that twenty percent do? What's
1: that? Well, yeah, it's 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 quite um, sensational. Uh, It's just to say the least of of, you know the compound effect is that it it really is you know the little things over time um, you know creating big results and and everything based on the compound effect you know so you know and a, a very simple example is eating an extra 125 calories a day adds up to an extra 15 kilos around your waistline over, this, over the space of, um, I think it's over the space of around about uh, seven years. That's just now 125 calories a day is one full cream milk cafe latte. Simple example. Now it's the same when it comes to investing. So a couple of things. If we talk about so rather than talking about the smashed avocado on toast, but you know I was. Um, if we just have a look at the price of coffee, so. You know, the price of coffee in Melbourne and Sydney is roughly four dollars uh, for a, for a takeaway coffee. Uh, roughly depends on the size of the coffee you have. Now that is that is a simple example. Is people might say, "My God, coffee is so expensive," but because rents are so expensive in Melbourne and Victoria, uh, sorry, Melbourne and Sydney, the fact is, that 60% of that four dollars actually goes uh, just to pay the rent for that cafe. The other 40% actually goes then to paying staff, paying overheads, paying for the coffee, paying for the milk, uh, and then if there's something left, left, that cafe owner gets to keep it. So, But if you think about this, I'm not suggesting don't buy your cafe latte, I, right with what we're going on right now, I'm very much about supporting all small businesses as much as possible. Um, but in saying that... A $4 a day coffee over 20 years, uh, not taking even compounding into effect, is $51,833 being spent on a takeaway coffee. So, you know, over the space of 20 years, that's that's quite substantial. But so these are just little things of that discretionary spending that we're actually talking about. Now that is roughly $125 uh, per month on takeaway coffee. Something that gives you a nice little buzz, nice sensation. Uh, so on that basis, if your employer doesn't have a coffee machine, maybe you should suggest they invest in one, like we have, because I enjoy a coffee. <laughs> uh, so, but I'm I, the very limited four-dollar budget I have a day, Jamie. You know, I can't afford to spend <laughs> that on a coffee. <laughs> so it's um, but let's let's talk about the power of compounds. I want to talk about. Um, a lot of people, once again, I'll pick on my age. Uh, they have historically said, "I'm not going to put money away now because what I'll do is, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I've got to pay the school fees and I've got to make the mortgage repayments first, and I want those holidays every year that we never got as a kid. But those holidays have to be overseas. And there seems to be this continuous never being able to pay off a credit card." Uh, they're always, every time they get it low, they're rebuilding it back up. So they're living basically to 100% of what their means are. And then come, say, age 40, and all of a sudden their expenses aren't as high because their mortgage might not be, as, they've got great equity in the home, their mortgage might not be as high anymore, um, and things like that. And they actually start saving. So, And I'm not talking superannuation here, so I'm just talking own personal savings. So at the age of 40, they start investing $3,000 a year. Now, what that means is at the age of 67, I've used that age specifically, uh, purely based on the fact of that age 67 and a half is the current age pension age. So that's, that's why I've used that for no other purpose uh, than the current age pension age. Over the space of age 41 to age 67, they've actually invested $3,000 a year, which equals $81,000 they've actually invested uh, for those uh, 27 years. That three thousand dollars has grown to two hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars. So realistically, it's not going to add much to their lifestyle in retirement. If you consider it, you know, even even if they're drawing down ten percent of that a year, hoping that it would, uh, you know, they will uh, they die at age seventy-seven, you know, that money's still not going to last. Even on a say a six or seven percent return, I'm not going to talk about investments today. Let's take the opposite. Let's take that person's twin brother. Okay, The other person's twin brother still had the mortgage, still had the school fees and things like that, but they decided not to buy, that. the couple decided not to buy that takeaway coffee every day and they just saved that. So they're now saving $250 a month and they're actually investing that, which is $3,000 a year. Now, these, re, these are just based on uh, 7% compound returns, by the way, so they're, they're not extraordinary returns or anything like that. They did that from the age of 23 through to the age of 40. So they did that for a period of 17 years. During that period of time, they've invested $54,000. And now at the age of 40, they have $120,000. Okay, so uh, that's at the age of 40. This is when the brother number two has now started the investing at that stage. From the age of 40, they've left the investment, set and forget, never added another cent to it, and it's just consistently earned them 7% per annum. At the age of 67, they've invested a total of $54,000, and they've actually, their fund is, or their investment's now worth $1,033,000. So they've actually now got a return of $54,000 turned into nearly a $1 million on that, just by patience, time, and compound interest. Whereas the brother who started late and had those extra holidays—I um, know you have, Jamie—so uh, <laughs> had those extra holidays, um, etc. The person who started late invested the same per month, but had to invest eighty-one thousand dollars and only ends up with two hundred eighty-five thousand dollars. So, the sake of actually uh, thinking of that investing is. The important, the difference between, you know, what have we got? The difference between eight hundred or thousand dollars, and they've invested less because they've got time and patience on their side. So, so what what you're considering here in this whole thing is that where is where can that sacrifice be made at the age of twenty three to find two hundred and fifty bucks a month? And I've always said that you're not going to actually um, do anything you're not going to actually invest or you're not actually going to do anything or budget unless there is a reason for doing that. If there's no reason, we don't do anything. you know. So it's um, so my parents, when they were saving money and budgeting, they had a reason because they wanted to buy a TV. Um, you know, the first black and white TV. Um, so that was their goal uh, that they actually had. Um, whereas nowadays, you're just getting an income and getting a substantial income uh, in comparison, uh, even taking inflation into account, but what actually hasn't now occurred or you haven't actually taken into effect is just being able to save that 250 bucks a month because there's no goal. There's no reason because we have to have 25 shirts or we have to have 17 suits or You know, because we want to keep up with the Joneses. So the fact is, is that if you've got an end goal, and this is what financial planning is about, it's not about saying, here's what you earn, save less, pay your utility bills. It's about how you're going to achieve your goals. And the first thing you actually have to understand is what are your goals. So once you understand what your goals are and realise it's not going to affect your lifestyle to actually achieve them, that gives you a reason to do it. But if the, we then go to the next part is that if I said, Jamie, every month, all you have to do is deposit $250 into this investment account and you do that for the, until the age of 40 or in your case will be 44 and you'll have an extra million dollars in retirement, there's going to be some months where you're going to say, oh, I'm not going to put the 250 in this month. I'll make it up next month. Yep. And then next month comes around. You don't put in 500 You might put in 200 So there's no consistency there's no discipline because you thought oh no this month i'm going to use that money i'm going to go away here and spend it here you know so or my team won the grand final so i'm drunk for a weekend so i blew the budget uh it's been a good few years for you (laughs) it's it's something i haven't experienced for a very long time um, no and i think
0: i think it's important what you're saying i think you know knowing what your goal is knowing what you need to do to achieve that and keeping the discipline around it and that's about as we're saying that's about setting a budget. Putting it in writing, knowing what you're doing, not just you know, in your head going, Oh, it would be good to do that. Actually setting ground rules.
1: Actually and actually having it monitored, having a coach. So which is what we are as planners. So so think about this. You've 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 you've, you've budgeted, you've saved hard, yeah, you, you've spent two hundred and fifty dollars less a month, and you've done that investment for the sake of a year and you've earned your your compound interest, and at the end of that year your fund is worth three thousand one hundred and eleven bucks. It's just like, you know, even if we just earn 10%, it's worth $3,300 and you're saying, my God, you know, what a waste. You know, so I, I've, I've budgeted, I've gone without for an entire 12 months to earn $111. That's just crazy. Why, why am I making these sacrifices to just earn $111? Um, but that $111 is an extra $1 million in 47 years time for investing for 17 years. You've only yeah. invested for seventeen years, so so this is the case of it's it's like why am I starving myself and stand on the scars? Oh my God, look at what I've done! I've only lost half a kilo. This is a waste. Yeah, doing yeah you do that over the space of ten weeks. No, you've actually lost five kilos. Uh, so that that's that's that compound effect over time. But let's talk about then the discipline because. Once again, there was a discipline in my parents' generation that is not in mine and is not in necessarily your generation because we do have things like credit. So the discipline is then if you're saying, okay, I've got this money. So let's say you have had discipline and you've saved or you've got a small inheritance or whatever the case is and you've got $10,000. So rather than saying, okay, you're meeting Tony or meeting Matt or meeting Josh and saying, yep, yeah, I can commit to saving 250 bucks a month um, and doing it, go and borrow $10,000 against that. Invest the $20,000 and pay that $10,000 off P&I over the space of three years. If you've got an automatic debit of 250 bucks a month coming out of your uh, bank account, there's your $250 a month savings because it's just that you've got the money up front. After three years, you rinse and repeat, do it again. Yeah. Now, if you use that strategy five times over, so basically for that 17 years, the difference is you actually end up with $1.9 million in retirement versus the $1.03 million. And you haven't even had to think about it, because the money automatically comes out of your bank account and forms part of that 50%, which is your fixed cost of living on a month-to-month basis. No different than the mortgage coming out of your bank account. No difference than having to pay the school fees. It's just something that you can't not do. Okay, so by, by having that, it's actually forming a discipline for us. So it's like, for example, uh, why the, uh, the diets of light and easy work, as an example, they give you what you're allowed to eat per day the only reason that would not work is if you cheat and you have other things in the fridge that you eat as well on top of those meals if all you have in your household is what you get you can't cheat and the weight will drop off same with this if you've got that uh loan and that loan has to be repaid every month it's just automatically done it's not even thought about that extra 250 bucks to your 50 percent of non of you know fixed costs you won't even notice it gone. Uh, you just won't notice. So, but all of a sudden now you've got $1.9 million. Um, and we're talking, you know, at age 67, on top of your $1.9 in super by turning up to work on a daily basis and on top of the fact that you have a house with no mortgage anymore. That, that's that's a that's a happier client and happier times than somebody earning great money and spending... A, you could be earning a million bucks a year, but if you're spending $1.1 $1. $1 a year, you're in a lot of trouble.
0: Agree, Tony, thank you very much for today. As we said, keep a look out on the socials and through our EDMs, um, and, and we'll be sending out some more information on it all. But, Tony, thanks for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, gents. Thanks, guys.